The greatest treasure in the known galaxy is out there. What are you waiting for? Let's fly. Transfer complete. Hello, and welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast where two Trek fans step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between that 2024 has to offer. I'm Cam Smith, and joining me on the bridge. This is Tyler Orton, setting off on the Europa mission because it's 2024, and apparently I'm Rene Picard. <laughs> but when is the Millennium Gate? That's what I need to know. <laughs> They're still working on it, Cameron. Okay, okay. I'll count that down. And we're here this week to talk about what's in store for Trek in 2024. A big question. Yeah, it's not going to be quite as busy as, say, 2022. And we had, like, what, like 50, 55 different episodes airing all in one year. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not even convinced it's going to be as busy as 2023. But I think we saw, got, like, quite a bit to go forward with and look forward to in Star Trek. Also, lots to speculate on. And I think the thing... Um, coming out first though is star trek discovery season five the final season mm -hmm. of star trek discovery um we know it's going to be premiering in april we have a list of all the uh the titles as well as kind of the writers behind that as well um what what, what are your anticipation levels cameron for the uh, the final 10 episodes of star trek discovery uh, th th this wonderful journey that we've been on that's given us so much <laughs> Um, there's just so many pendulum swings over the last, oh God, like six years now. What are my expectations for season five? Um, well, I'm hoping that it seems to be the case that they realize they want to do something a little more fun and zippy. Uh, maybe just because they looked at, you know, the uh, excitement built up around Strange New Worlds and were like, oh, we wish people liked our show in that way. Uh, so maybe they're trying to adopt a little bit of that. I mean, the shots of Burnham on like the dirt bike or whatever it is reminded me a lot of Star Trek Beyond with the shots of Pike there. And that movie was more of a swashbuckling affair. So wait, wait, wait. when, when was Pike in uh Star Trek Beyond? Not Pike, I missed sorry. Anson Mount's uh, cameo. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow. So Bruce, Bruce Greenwood back from the dead. Wow. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. You know. <laughs> no, Kirk, of course, that was all they promoted about Star Trek Beyond initially was Kirk on a motor bike over and over again i think you're mixing up bike and pine and it <laughs> turned into pike <laughs> i think you're right yes <laughs> so the fact that they were kind of marketing burnham on a vehicle wearing goggles i'm like oh this seems kind of familiar um i guess it uh, semi worked i mean the box office for beyond was nothing to write home about so maybe that's the wrong marketing hook but to me it means that they're going to try something a little more adventurous which is good. I don't want kind of the Sturm and Drung of um, the you know previous couple seasons where it's just kind of like overly mor morose. So I'm looking forward to something that is a little more fast on its feet. Ten episodes is also faster on its feet than the previous few seasons. I, I don't know. The problem is like when we talk about Star Trek shows, and you and I do this all the time, we're like, oh, we're going to Picard. Let's break down the characters. Where could the characters be at? Star Trek Discovery has been so inconsistent in the handling of its characters season to season that I don't have any sense as to what Saru will be up to or Tilly or any of these characters. 
I'm more just curious how they wrap it up and give finality to the Burnham journey, I guess, by the end. Yeah, I, look, I I think you bring up a good point about where, where the characters are at right now. Like with with like the start of season four, I I just never anticipated that all they'd be doing with like Saru is like, despite him having the rank of captain, he'd just be essentially serving as XO again aboard the Discovery. Uh, I didn't know that Tilly would be written out of most of the season. Yeah. You know, like it's just very strange things going on with these characters. Um, a lot, look, a lot of it was kind of, you know, pandemic related, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, like um, Jet Reno did not get to appear uh, nearly as much as we would have hoped, you know, um, and when she was, um, it was in awkwardly edited scenes in which she clearly was not appearing with the rest of the cast, you know, um, so that's why maybe I, I think there's more hope for season five maybe then for season four but the thing is like season four i thought kind of started off on kind of a fun foot you know like let's get chased by moth people and you what a rousing adventure that is it, it seems as if every single season star trek discovery says like you know what we don't want to be tragedy porn let's have fun again and every single season it somehow finds itself turning into tragedy porn once more and i'm just kind of like i i have a sense that they don't want to do that they really don't want to do that this season like they keep going back to that well that doesn't really pay like i don't think so they've got to learn their lesson by now but i keep thinking you know that they've probably learned season to season i I just wonder if they learn the wrong lessons like the the creators of the show do or at least the um the executive producers of the show but that said would it be almost a disservice to the show they've created if it did suddenly go in the Indiana Jones kind of mold? Like, the fact of the matter is, when you look at Star Trek Discovery season to season, it's often like a downer show. And yes, there may be a positive message at the end, but uh, there's a lot of hand-wringing, a lot of tears, a lot of um, melodrama going on through the entire season from one through four. Like, is it almost wrong to change the energy of your final season? Should you just kind of stick true to what you are, but just try to do it better? Well, the show is so, like, schizo anyways. Like, it, it like the, the there's no real cohesive, you know, narrative being told, or, or just even look at the character journeys throughout the years. It's just all over the place where characters, you know, just dramatically transform into, like, unrecognizable folks. You know, like, think about how we met Burnham in season one, and by the time we meet her in season two, she is a completely different character. Mm-hmm. And think about when, you know, the first episode that we met, um, say, Stamets, um, five episodes later, he's a completely different character. I mean, Tyler, who is Stamets now? He's a smart guy that occasionally makes snarky comments, but never cutting comments. Those cutting comments were left for season one. Um, he's defined by his love of his husband. Um, for some reason, he has a 30-year-old adopted child. Um, I don't know. It's just like, I, I don't know how to define the guy. I, and they tried to do that in season four at some point. I, I don't think it was Tarka, but somebody was commenting on kind of the rapport that uh, Reno and Stamets has. And they're like, oh, you guys just argue. And then he's like, yeah, but guess what? We all get along in the end. And I'm just like, oh my God, like gag me, <laughs> gag me. Like this is like not like, I don't know. The, the, the show is like, it's so different from the, the show that I enjoyed watching in seasons one and two. 
I and I I don't know. I I, I if they go in a completely different direction in season five, like who's going to care at this point? You know, like the, the the show is just all over the place anyway. So I, I think it's totally fine if they yet again, you know, go in, in a completely different direction. Yeah, it's just going to be really weird to map those character journeys when the show's done, which is one of those things that I'm like, I don't know that I'll be revisiting uh, seasons three or four, quite frankly. But yeah. it does seem like if I were to track them all on a whiteboard, it would be very, very messy. Uh, do you think we see Grey by the end of the series? Um, Yeah, maybe like a hello here or there, you know? Yeah. Um, The fact that they still never explain Grey's constitution, you know? <laughs> I, I think the writers have it in their head what it is, but they forgot to tell the audiences. And you know, like when uh, you're writing a story or something like that, and um, there's essentially a hole in the story. Mm. And it's like you as the writer, you understand what's going on. You understand how you got from A to B, but you forget to tell that to the audience. And all you see is, you know, going from A to C and you miss that middle part there. And I think that's what happened with the writers and Gray. And just like... um. It's, I, I don't know, Grey is some sort of manifestation of the symbiont that somehow became corporeal through, was it like holograms or something like that, Cam? Um, sure. Sure, that sounds sure, good. Sure, I don't know. The, the fact that we don't even, like, remember shows you, like, how much, like, we care at this point, you know? But, like, something that seems very important about kind of the existential crisis facing one of these very notable characters over the last two seasons. Another character I'm actually really curious about is David Cronenberg's character. Uh, is it Dr. Kovic? Yeah. Um, he left to go work on a project of some sort. <laughs> when he comes back, do they acknowledge what that project was? No. I, mean, <laughs> I, I doubt it. Do you, do, do you honestly think that they will? Do you think there's hope that they will? I think they, they'll just like sweep it on the rug and be like, oh, you know. I, I, I just think that Cronenberg just probably uh, is scheduling error. Remember, wasn't Bryce uh, supposed to work on that project with him? But I think, um, or mm -hmm. no, wasn't Bryce working on the project with um, the uh, other Admiral? Um, who's that Canadian actor that's been in like every Canadian show uh, played by Hiro Kanagawa? I, I, I forget. But um, yeah, yeah. I think Bryce may have been working on the project with like the it was like that language admiral or something like that, who's actually kind of an interesting quirky character. So I'm sure if that character returns, um, the hero Kanagawa character returns in season five, they'll make him like really boring or really dumb. But I don't know. I, I it's just like. But the thing is with Bryce, I the, that actor, um, he was able to have like a starring vehicle uh, on a, a CBC television series or maybe a mini series. I think it was called The Porter. And uh, so, yeah, good on him. Um, but it was just like very, he kind of awkwardly written out of the show for a couple episodes. The way that this show just kind of drops people often unceremoniously, whether because of, you know, good career reasons or just because they write them out for some reason. Uh, it would not shock me if like a lot of these figures that have disappeared under very strange circumstances on Star Trek Discovery are just kind of given like a tiny button at the end of the show just so that it doesn't feel like, well, we didn't completely forget them. Like, I think there's a real chance we could see Sukao pop up in the uh, in the finale as well. I don't I don't know about that. Uh, you don't they, think they so? They gave him like they gave him like one uh, quick appearance in the season four premiere, and I think they washed them their hands clean of that character. Like I just like why would they go back at this point? I, I think they know that it was a bit of a failure of a character, and it's just like are are the audiences yearning for a return of Sukal? 
Well, I mean, we have Saru, right, who has the relationship with the uh, the Vulcan um, ambassador. Maybe at the end of the N- series. Navar it... president, thank you. Oh, of course, of course, Navar president. Uh, so maybe at the end of the series, the two of them will get married and adopt Sukal. <laughs> yes, they love adult- adopting adults on this show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Cam, um, w- w- what is Dr. Kovic's job? Uh, I've always been very vague on that because he what, seemed what, to know what? a lot about like the mirror universe, but then yeah. also a lot about AI. Um, uh-huh. he's kind of like the, um, what's the word? Like the, um, oh, uh, multi-purpose tool in terms of scientists. What's his rank in Starfleet? Uh, is he actually a member of Starfleet? Well, he's got the, uh, comm badge. Yeah, he does, doesn't he? But he walks around in a suit. <laughs> Cam, this is the show just always seems so half-baked you know and that, that's what i'm talking about like the us not understanding gray's constitution you know why gray was appearing in front of um uh not andor um what what's gray's, uh, uh partner's name adira adira yes andor adira you know um, <laughs> oh i get you right yeah, yeah i see the confusion yeah so like i i just like I don't know. The, the show just... It, it's a weird one. It is a weird one. Um, I uh, I will watch all 10 episodes. Will we podcast about all 10 of them? I don't know. TBD. We'll watch the uh, premiere for sure. We'll definitely do an entire episode dedicated to the season uh, premiere. We'll also do an entire episode dedicated to the series finale. Mm-hmm. We'll also certainly catch up, um, you know, at the midway mark, if we're not going to do it week to week, but I say minimum three episodes of us podcasting, maximum of us 10 podcasting. It just really depends on how much we have to say about the series week to week, where it's a series that I think just frustrates us um, just on both the storytelling level and a character level at this point. Yeah, to me, the ball is entirely in Discovery's court because I am more than happy to do reviews for all 10 episodes on the air the way we did with the Picard seasons or Strange New Worlds or what have you. But the problem is just with uh, season four, it gave you so little to talk about that it was kind of pointless to do an hour podcast every week. So if they have something behind the scenes that's interesting, then sign me up. Um, I mean, it would be nice to be encouraged or at least interested enough to talk about the show week to week and tackle all 10 episodes. But uh, (laughs) the track record is not good so far. Yeah, I mean, we did it for three seasons, you know, and then I did. Th- we we got pretty frustrated with season three, and yeah, you know, I, and I just why torture ourselves? And look, if people are tuning into our podcast, it's because they're watching Discovery, you know, and they they like. And if you're watching Discovery, it means you kind of like the show. <laughs> and do you really want to tune into us dump on a show? Like, and that's kind of why I, I don't think it'd be fun for our listeners either. Yeah, because at a certain point, yes, there was some um, really fun moments in there, like when we were talking about Sukal and things like that. Like, we were definitely having fun talking about some of those elements, but there was a lot of episodes where it was just kind of like reading out a laundry list of, you know, bad plot tropes or writing tropes. And it's like, I don't know that this is that interesting. Like, you want it, if it's going to be bad, it has to be bad in an interesting way. Say, like, Picard Season 2 was, but what Discovery was doing in Season 4 was not picard season two level um bad storytelling it was just very very disjointed and uninteresting 
and well like hey let's stretch out the mystery box and you know like there's a way to do mystery box storytelling that's engaging that's fun you know but i don't think the folks behind the scenes here have figured that out and this goes all the way back to season one as well you know i just i i think they need to give up on the mystery box element um doesn't sound that's going to be the case in season five it definitely sounds as if there's going to be well certainly a MacGuffin. um and my guess is there's going to be a mystery box element spread throughout all 10 episodes mm-hmm yeah, one of my biggest um, regrets about living in the era we live in is that uh, there's such a heavy presence of NDAs because, like, the book about the creation of Star Trek Discovery is just waiting, just waiting to be written, right? Like, and it would be absolutely fascinating, and I know it's going to be a long, long, long time before such a thing could ever even happen. Yeah, and just for those that might not know, an NDA is a non-disclosure agreement that a mm. lot of folks, uh, like actors or people behind the scenes, they have to sign and agree that they just won't talk <laughs> talk about what's going on behind the scenes. And Cam, I, I mean, just going back all these seasons, like the show's just kind of been a mess, um, uh, you know, from day one essentially. You know, and like that—that's kind of like I just want like a real auteur-driven um, live-action Star Trek series. We did not get that with Picard. You know, as different showrunners every single season, we haven't really got, you know, Brian Fuller would have been the auteur, you know, um, driving force behind Star Trek Discovery. He exited that show, you know, before cameras even started rolling. And, you know, like, we definitely have that with Lower Decks. That is Michael McMahon's vision right there. We have that with Star Trek Prodigy with the Hagman brothers as well. Mm -hmm. You know, and those are shows that have worked well for us um it's a bit of a different animal with um uh, strange new worlds though you know we've had uh, the same showrunners for the first two seasons and um it looks as if that'll be the same thing going into uh, season three as well and it, it feels as if that's a much more coherent show as uh, as well you can even argue the very short treks were very coherent <laughs> there was one guy kind of overseeing the creative journey that was very short treks Cam, they should give us like a hundred thousand dollars just to like come up with our own very short trek ideas, and we just you know crack our knuckles and be like, here you go, audiences. You know, um, yes, uh, Doctor Crusher has to inspect a planet full of boogers. You know, like why not? I mean, judging from the YouTube views on those, maybe a hundred thousand dollars is a little more than they're willing to spend. (laughs) (laughs) One dollar per view. Exactly. You're paid yeah. by the view, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Cam, we did get some episode titles here. Um, there's a couple that uh, jump out to me. Um, uh, I, I'm curious about. Um, episode 5 is called Mirrors. Um, mm-hmm. Does that make some sort of allusion to yet another final jump into the Mirror universe? Maybe kind of close whatever thread might exist you know i i don't know we haven't really visited since uh season three in which we had kind of the uh goodbye to giorgio there but um i don't know how do you feel about kind of uh star trek's discovery uh <laughs> star trek discovery's entry into the mirror universe despite the fact that uh, didn't they say it, the mirror universe has split so far apart temporally that it's uh, it's impossible to kind of visit at this point I think that's the case. And I do wonder, like, the thing about Mirrors as a title, we all look at that title and go, well, it's got to be Mirror Universe. I just wonder if it isn't. It's just about a reflection of, you know, so- someone seeing their own reflection. And the title kind of teases something that ultimately won't be promised, which is <laughs> kind of common for Star Trek Discovery. Although, although I'll, well, I will point out that <laughs> Star Trek Picard 
had an episode titled uh, Dominion. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, we found out that the changelings were uh, you know, kind of uh, behind uh, a lot of the shenanigans going on in season three. Yeah. Um, although I think also of, there was the short track Q&A where you and I were like, oh, oh, I know it's coming in that one. And no Q did not appear in it. Yeah. No, uh, believe me, I, I, I can believe in like red herrings as well. But mm-hmm. uh, just something to, to ponder. Um, uh, episode six is titled uh, Whistle Speak. Um, that's an interesting, <laughs> is that how you and I communicate when we're at restaurants so that the uh, servers can't listen in on our conversations? Oh, that would be amazing. Morse code <laughs> whistling. It's funny. I look at whistle speak and then episode nine is called Lagrange point. I guess that's the pronunciation. I'm not sure, but those both sound very like Western-y to me. And so, I mean, there's kind of a lot of Western-y imagery they've been putting out there even with the burnham on the bike kind of stuff like just the the way it looks kind of is a western vibe i wonder if that's kind of the energy like is this going to be discovery's answer to north star uh cam if they kick off episode nine with zz tops uh lagrange like uh, that would be incredible to me that would be fantastic actually and that would be fun which is outside of the kind of the norm for the show uh, at this point. <laughs> but we have had before, um, I mean, go back to Magic to Make the Sanest Man to go mad. Um, like that had the really great uh, Wyclef Jean music cue that was so much fun. You also had them uh, singing Bowie in an episode, I think, in season two, I think. I think it was season two, yeah. Was it season two? Yeah, so I'm open for that. And sure, like, you know what? Cue a whole action scene to ZZ Top or something. Do it, please. I want Limp Biscuit, man. No, let's do Limp Biscuit. Break stuff. <laughs> yeah. That's just the finale, the final <laughs> moments. Um, what do you want from a finale, Cam? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, so, so, like, some background, though, because, like, mm-hmm. um, they did... Okay, after the show is officially canceled, the studio said, like, we'll give you uh, more money and you can do some additional shooting and, you know, wrap things up. So that gives me hope that there will be some finality there. You know, like, I'm down for finality in a finale. Um, but, like, what do you want from these characters? What do you want from the story, the the journey, you know? Like, like that's... Uh, you go back to all good things, and it just... The, the bookends of Q and the Trial of Humanity was just absolutely perfect. I don't know what you can really deliver to me at this point that is cohesive in terms of the series other than as you said like finality to the burnham story because that's what we've been following for five seasons but in terms of like the rest of the characters i I just don't know they've been so all over the place that i don't know that there's like a beat i'm looking for i guess you could say you know tilly talked about wanting to be a captain early 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 in the run of the show so whether she is a captain at the end or acknowledges maybe how she's changed her mind along the way or something that would be i think a good thing to do in terms of bookending um saru's i i mean saru was kind of alone so i guess just having more of a family by the end uh would be a positive thing for him i don't know what they're gonna do with book um i guess maybe he could just come back and be with Burnham? I don't know. Grudge? No, he's hanging out with Grudge. Yeah, yeah. He, he, like the thing is, I, I think about all those sitcom finales, you know, back in the '90s, and uh, the final episode is like everybody has like a uh, a life partner by the mm. final episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's like I, I I don't care about that. 
you know it's just like i just hope discovery doesn't do something lame like that i i don't know do do you expect burnham to sacrifice herself and then somehow get resurrected by the end of it i could see a grand sacrifice for for burnham although the it just it's so the messiah on... complex that's going on. That that's what I'm. Al- it is the messiah alluding to it here. So much depends on the energy of the season, though. If they are going for something more like energetic and fun, then that would be really weird to end with like a big dramatic death scene for Burnham or something. But yeah, I, don't, I don't think it would be weird for this series, though. Well, that's true. You have a good point there. The series is so all over the place in terms of tone. You know, like scene to scene, episode to episode. Like it's just not very cohesive. I have a hard time imagining a world where Michael Burnham grows old in this universe. Yeah. Like, it feels like a character that would make sense to have her, you know, <laughs> depart the Earth uh, or depart the galaxy by the end of the show's run. Whether it is a death or attaining some higher state of being or something. It just would seem very strange to me if the show ended in the 32nd century... And Burnham's just on, like, that space station or whatever, being like, well, I'm an admiral now, so uh, I guess I better get get to work. Credits. Maybe she joins her mother at that uh, Romulan nunnery. <laughs> or they both uh, put on red angel costumes and just go flying through the sky at the end. That could just be them, yeah, like, taking off together. And all we know is that they're journeying through the universe to save, you know, humanity at various points in time. Yeah, like, it has to be with Burnham a grandiose ending to that character. I just don't think... Because you look at a lot of the other Star Trek shows, it's them, for example, DS9, going on to other assignments. That is not Michael Burnham. It has to be something bigger than that. Yeah. Um. The the other problem, though, is, you know, so much of the show is based at Starfleet headquarters now. It's like, yeah, what are they going to sign her to do? Like, take over from Admiral Vance? Actually, maybe. I wonder, It wouldn't surprise me if that's what her new job is going to be. Uh, you know, by the finale, like she's in charge of every, and she's named both uh, Federation president and uh, head of Starfleet. You know, all in one. Well, you know what, the Federation president title is actually an interesting thing because, to me, that would leave her in a in like a place where it would have a sort of a grandiose ending to it and establish her, as we've seen on the show, as like the greatest individual in the history of Star Trek. So. I mean, we've never seen a character wind up there at the end of a season, well, or at the end of a series, I should say. I, I think uh, they established at Archer. Um, no. Well, you true. know, we didn't see it physically, but I think they uh, have said in the kind of the history of Trek that Archer ended up becoming the first Federation uh, president. And it, it's a trait of Star Trek that I don't like, in which you are conflating kind of um, uh, paramilitary explorers with kind of the prestige that they bring towards um civilian life and like i I think those things are they should be kept separate you know in in which we're kind of aggrandizing this sort of paramilitary life with the the be-all end-all which you know we had a big discussion about that on our what is starfleet episode um why can't civilians just be great at their jobs um you know uh running civilian life yeah i have no idea i mean when i think about like the famous star trek captains they haven't stuck the landing on a few of them because I think of like Picard, you know, if we are to take Nemesis as the end of Picard's journey, as it was for a long time, that was not really the greatest way to leave this legendary captain character. But then they bring him back for Picard. And I don't know how I really feel about the journey of him over three seasons of that. Like, well, he died at the end of season one. Like Picard's dead. 
like like he died on some no-name planet full of androids and i'm like okay yeah like to me i think it's a pretty stupid journey yeah and then you get to android picard and you know being with beverly and uh jack crusher at the end and i'm like well is that the ending that i always saw for picard no and it wasn't one that i thought was particularly spectacular um so i i just don't know that like it's easy to end characters like that, especially when it's a character like Burnham, who they have constantly said is so vitally important to the universe of Star Trek that it would be so weird to kind of end. You know, I look at Janeway, who I think they actually have handled very well and that she's just continued on in her career. I really like what they've done with her on Prodigy. Uh, it doesn't feel weird. It doesn't feel like they've undercut the importance of the character, but I just don't see Burnham having a similar future. I think about Cisco, you know, um, I still think there's a lack of resolution there, but it's kind of keeping in line with kind of the, the tone of Deep Space Nine, you know, and so that ending mm-hmm. a little problematic and, you know, um, Avery Brooks, uh, you know, uh, kind of uh, had, had some problems with that ending and, and they rewrote uh, it because like he's just very vocal, like he did not want the series to end with a uh, black man um, departing his wife with an unborn child and the idea that you know there would not be a father figure in this child's life and mm. so they said you know I'll, I'll be out there but i'll be coming back at some point and to me that that's intriguing and, and i kind of like that idea of you know kind of cisco you know he could have been back within a year he could have been back within like i don't know uh, like it, to me it's just interesting like we, we can kind of make it up in our own heads and i i, I hope they never touch on that I, I I never want to know what what ultimately came of the Cisco here in this situation. No, and I don't know that I could see them pulling off an ending like that for Burnham. No, uh, I don't. I don't think she'll be leaping into the fire caves to join Cisco <laughs> at the end of this show either. Do you think we get a uh, a sighting of uh, Lorca somehow? Um, you know, Mir Lorca's dead. Um, yeah. It kind of like it, it feels as if. We we should have just seen like Prime Lorca at some point, you know, whether it's the Strange New Worlds timeline. But the thing is, is like, unless it makes sense for the show, it just it would just kind of be distracting. There was that Mirror Universe episode in season three where we thought that they were really gonna like say, <laughs> "Hey, Lorca, you are gonna see Lorca in just a few." Oh wait, it's um some rando named Douglas like that showed up. They kept teasing it. It was so annoying uh, of them to do that like yeah. it's fine if you don't have jason isaacs just right around it don't have constant characters referring to like events in Lorca. it was such a weird choice to make yeah yeah but, but well, do you think we might get like some sort of Lorca, e- even like a shout out um if i'm a gambling man the answer is no yeah. i think it's been too long yeah uh i think they might be under the delusion that people might start watching this show in its final season mm. <laughs> and uh they aren't going to introduce something like that from season one I, the show just feels so different post season or like basically season three onwards yeah that i feel like once michelle paradise really took over the show i feel like they've kind of stuck to that the story that she's kind of been involved in, whereas I, I just don't see them like calling back to as much stuff from season one and two. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I could see them. I, I, I could see them having maybe like some sort of like video address from Lorca, you know, that had been recorded centuries earlier. So, you know, just something small, something tiny, something that the fans will go like, oh, yeah, that's, you know, as opposed to like centering the entire season's mystery around. Uh, <laughs> it's the search for Lorca. That should be that kind of the subtitle for season five, right? 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, I would be uh, far more excited about that. I, I do wonder, though, like, is this Lorca's only opportunity uh, this season of Discovery? Like, could you see him at this point, the prime Lorca, showing up on Strange New Worlds? I, I could see it, but the thing is, I think it'd just be too distracting. And I don't know if there's, unless there's a, a real great story idea. And I also wonder, like, how clumsy the exposition would have to be to explain mm-hmm. who this is and, and his presence. And there's all this mere universe stuff and then Klingon War. And, yeah, like, I don't know. I, I'm just kind of like, eh. Strange New Worlds has kind of done a really good job not bringing in a lot of, like, heavy Discovery mythology. Like, they acknowledge the odd event, but... They don't really double down on going back to the vibe of that show or bringing in a lot of storylines from that show. So, like, I almost wonder if they would be like, no, nah, we're just going to stay hands off with that stuff. Yeah. All right. So, Cam, um, after 30 minutes of this, um, <laughs> yeah. what else does 2024 have in store for uh, the Star Trek universe? Well, that's scheduled. Um, well, don't really know, but we can make a pretty good guess that we will get the next season of um, Lower Decks which will be season five, um, also a fifth season. Um, Season four, I think, was solid, but unremarkable. And I think uh, I I probably share the same opinion as you, that we're hoping for a little more spark, maybe a little more comic ingenuity in season five. But where do you think we might go character-wise or just to shake things up? Well, they try to kind of shake things up um, and it lasts for about an episode and then it kind of goes back to kind of the same sort of character dynamics. Although they do, the dynamics have slowly changed over the last few years. It doesn't seem like a static kind of typical cartoon show, you know, where it's like Marge and Homer have looked the exact same for the last like, yeah. 35 years, you know. So um, I, I, to me, it, it'd be just a, a c- complete guessing game. It wouldn't be based on anything that's come before. So, you know, like, obviously we take off, uh, or we left off with Tendi, you know, going back to join the Orions, and I'm just like, I, I really doubt that we're going to have a full season of Tendi, uh, you know, being with the Orions again. I'm sure she's going to come back to the ship. So other than that, yeah, you know, like, do, do you want me to predict the uh, grand arc of a wacky cartoon <laughs> sitcom? Like, I, I, I can't do that. It'd just be like, pure speculation. But I, I think going back to what you're talking about is you know there are so many episodes in the first three seasons that kind of wowed us or like just like whoa that's so cool i did not expect that or or you know um other than the premiere tuvix there weren't really any episodes that followed that really like gripped us or wowed us but again it wasn't they weren't bad episodes We, we just weren't kind of blown away like we had been in the previous three seasons yeah i think the one thing i would really like to see in season five is more use of the talin character um, whether it's just kind of creating a different dynamic with another character, like an established character on the show, because I think at this point it would be nice to maybe expand Talyn's role, perhaps as like a you know ongoing series regular as opposed to kind of a recurring character. Um, that would be, I think, good to see. Um, I'm curious what they do with the Mariner and Ransom story, because I thought that was reasonably effective, but it's not the sort of thing you want to keep static. Um, so... I am wondering what they do with Mariner in the next season because she kind of overcame a lot of her uh, issues by the end of season four, but that character is always kind of all rough edges. So I'm really interested to see how they find a way to make her compelling and interesting in season five. 
Well, look, they, they gave them promotions last season, and that makes sense. And, like, you can tell the show doesn't want to be just completely static with its characters. And so I, I, I like that. Uh, I assume we'll see them taking on more responsibility, you know. No, I, I, the show, I'm still very interested in. You know, I'm looking forward to season five. I presume it'll premiere sometime in the summer because that's what it's essentially done all the prior four seasons as well. Do you think we're going to be looking at a season six, a season seven, or do you think, you know, as is often the case, five seasons and that's about it? Well, no, I believe that they, and and I could be wrong. I don't have it right in front of me. I, I believe they've already been uh, secured for a season six because I think they have to oh, okay. order them like two seasons back to back just because of the uh, lead time in terms of how long it takes to do animation plus the writing and all that. Mm. Um, so beyond that, um, it, I think the show is like relatively cheap to produce. Um, well, okay, you know, I'll, I'll go into more of kind of the business side of things. Um, Cam, what is going on with Paramount right now? Like the, the um, <laughs> like Sherry Redstone, who has a controlling interest, um, you know, kind of inherited from her father, Sumner Redstone. Um, I think she kind of wanted to prove that, you know, she could uh, totally run this studio. This, this is not the 1980s anymore. You know, this is a completely different era, but we're seeing all these amalgamations of all of these big uh, studios. Uh, it looks as if you know Paramount is on the block for you know um, uh, being acquired at this point, and, and the question is: Are they going to uh, slice it up for all of his assets? Is there going to be one company that buys up everything? Uh, doubtful, you know. And, and so there's a lot of question marks hanging over, like how much investment is going to be going into a lot of these properties if you're trying to make it as enticing as possible to potential buyers, and that's kind of where. I've got question marks about the future of uh, Lower Decks, you know, like uh, maybe they're like, you know, we've got six seasons, that'll do it. And there you go. And, and that brings up other question marks about other Star Trek properties where, you know, may maybe the uh, the bean counters look at the numbers, look at the budgets and say, eh, no, not really worth it if we're trying to sell this property right now. It's also very telling as well that you have, you know, Star Trek um, Discovery going off the air with its final season in 2024. Picard, the series, has ended, um, and Lower Decks is, you know, if it's cleared for a five and six, that's awesome, but that's also a show that's getting long in the tooth, and we haven't seen, like, serious, serious energy behind launching a new Star Trek show to take over. Uh, it's not like they are um, hitting the gas on Star Trek Legacy, and so that's when I begin to wonder, like, as you said, like, um, you know, Paramount's in kind of an unstable state. What is the future of Star Trek and, you know, not too far off if they're not looking at launching new shows? I mean, we do have that Starfleet Academy that's been rumored, but like, uh, there's nothing concrete. So who really knows? That's why I'm very curious about what we'll have to kind of replenish these kind of these older shows of Star Trek that have been occupying our attention for the last handful of years. Yeah, it, it's... Look, like when CBS All Access launched back in 2017, it was an entirely different ballgame because everybody's trying to catch up to Netflix. And the idea was you pour as much money as possible into building up these content libraries with um, new material, new content that would drive subscriber growth, ensuring that you're grabbing as many subscribers month to month as possible. That has completely kind of changed just over the last, I'd say, year and a half at this point. So it's entirely different model now. 
Um, Paramount is in a very precarious space at this moment. So I, I don't know. That's tough. So I, I went and double checked. Um, so Discovery, or I should say Lower Decks, has not officially been picked up for season six or anything mm. like that. So okay. um, wait, waiting on some sort of word. I, I, I think they want to, they're going to move forward with it. The, you know, the, the writers would want to get a head start so that animation could get a head start so that we could have the show premiere in its usual summer slot at this point. But I, again, those questions are swirling about kind of, you know, what, whether, you know, they, they want to put money in towards uh, a lot of their properties right now if they're trying to, you know, sell off uh, Paramount. So that, that that's why I'm a little more concerned about, like, Star Trek moving beyond uh, 2024 than I have been in previous years. It's ironic that Star Trek Prodigy may be in the safest place right now, now that Netflix has picked it up. <laughs> yeah, like, they may yeah. be willing to pump out a few seasons of Prodigy because they're like, hey, we're good. We got Netflix money. Uh, so maybe the show that was the one that was most in danger is now the one that's looking not so shabby. Yeah, not even most in danger. It was literally canceled. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, so but maybe that brings up uh, kind of the opportunity. Would um, Lower Decks be picked up by Netflix? You know, it seems like a pretty cheap show to produce. I think mm-hmm. I, I have to believe the budget's less than what Prodigy is. Why would Netflix not want to pursue uh, another season of Lower Decks? makes complete sense to me. I mean, that I think a show like Lower Decks would benefit hugely. It's such a bingeable show or one people can throw on, even in the backgrounds while they're doing things. And it will be amusing and fun and colorful. And that's kind of like the Netflix brand. Like, they want people just watching whatever's on there. So it would get way more exposure, um, would, I think, satisfy a Netflix audience. And frankly, it might be the best case scenario for Lower Decks, a show that is, you know, it's, reasonably popular but it's on paramount plus so you can only go so far with that yeah the thing that the big distinction though is that prodigy only had 20 episodes in the can and so netflix Mm -hmm. was able to strike a deal in which they would have the rights to license those 20 episodes as well as you know pick up those uh other 20 episodes from season two um so I guess at this point, there'd be 50 episodes by the time you get to the end of uh, Lower Decks. Does Paramount insist on holding on to that property? Um, we've also seen that there's uh, actually a big appetite among all the other studios to start licensing their shows out to Netflix again after a lot of reluctance early on. Um, or I shouldn't say early on. Early on in Netflix, all the studios were licensing their shows, and then they cracked yeah. down on that so that they could launch their own services. If Paramount is just doing kind of a fire sale, then I think, yeah, you could maybe, I think it's more likely now you could strike a deal in which Netflix gets, you know, to license uh, or uh, stream all of these episodes, these 50 episodes, and then also, you know, maybe do a couple more seasons uh, that they're um, financing too. Yeah. And then um, Star Trek Discovery can go to Tubi. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) You know, uh, ad supported Tubi. Can would you watch any of the ad supported, like, so Netflix is going, like ad supported tiers we've got uh, amazon prime doing so i i came months ago back in i think maybe august september i finally subscribed to youtube so i could stop watching the ads my life has never mm-hmm. been better it's like uh I, I just can't picture myself going to the ad supported tier i cannot i i have uh the the attention span of a goldfish and as soon as those ads go on i just go into zombie mode i do watch the odd movie on tubi so I am willing to watch the ads, but that said, 
when it comes to the services that I subscribe to that I pay for, whether it's, you know, Disney Plus or Netflix or any of those, I can't imagine myself kind of backsliding to an ad tier version. I just am not willing to do that. Yeah. Um. So with regards to Prodigy, though, we do have some comments uh, from the executive producers. Uh, so Dan Hagman, um, you know, one of the co-creators of the show, along with his brother, uh, speaking to comicbook.com, he said that, you know, even when... Uh, you get to the end of season two, it feels that, that there is some sort of closure, but, mm. you know, they would love to continue doing the show beyond that, you know? Um, so uh, they're very pleased with uh, where the show's been going. And uh, I don't know, like, like I, 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 I'm very excited for at least to get another 20 episodes of Prodigy. It, look, we'd be getting 40 episodes of a Star Trek show. That's not bad. Um, if, if we can get up to 60 or even just 50, like, I I, I don't know. Pro- Prodigy's been just such a delightful surprise that I never really saw coming. You know, I had expectations for Strange New Worlds, and, and, and that was great that it met my expectations. But um, this might be the first time that a Star Trek show has blown away my expectations uh, since this new Kurtzman era. Yeah, and when we saw the creators of Prodigy in Vegas this past summer, uh, in 2023, um, they talked about how they want to set up like an ongoing series of just prodigy movies as well. So they could just do, you know, two hour or 90 minute standalone prodigy movies, which I think would also be an interesting avenue to go to have your, you know, two or three seasons or whatever it is to set up your characters and their journey and then check in for episodic adventures the way that, you know, the original series moved into the movies. And I think that journey worked really well for Kirk and crew. Um, we haven't seen it replicated uh, with, I think, the level of success that that crew had. But I would be interested to see someone else try. Yeah, the, the only thing I'll... Hmm. I, I, I'm having debates in my own head right now. Because I was going to say, like, well, do you know children really want to watch like a 90-minute movie? But then I think of all these... Yeah, yes, they do. Uh, Little Mermaid, Toy Story. Of course they do. So I think that could actually work. And this is really... I thought we were going to get a, a children's show, Cam. Mm-hmm. Um, what Prodigy really is is a family show. And, um, you know, that, that, that's part of the appeal that it's had for me just watching it uh, for its... <laughs> How 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 long did it take to air uh, the first season in its entirety? It, it seemed like three, four years or something like that. Just, <laughs> you know, but I don't know. Um, yeah, so yeah, I can totally see like movies actually uh, working with the show. Yeah, I mean, I look at Prodigy and yes, we went into it with the attitude that it would be like a kid's show. But I think it is true to you could go right back to 1966. It's a family show like Star Trek frequently has been. Maybe not Mud's Women, maybe not that episode, but, mm. you know, by and large, the original series was pretty family friendly. And, you, you know, that holds true as well to um, the next generation. Uh, I think you get a little darker sometimes in DS9 and Voyager, but I think like um, Prodigy offers the level of adventure and insightful characters and messages and morals that classic Star Trek was very good at giving to an entirely universal audience in a way that was digestible and fun. And they've managed to crack a code with that on Prodigy that they make it look super easy, I think, but I think is really, really difficult. And I don't know that I've seen another Star Trek show do. I love Strange New Worlds. I can't wait for the next season of that show. But a lot of those stories on that show are not necessarily family friendly. Yeah. Um, I'm, try- I'm trying to think. Okay. Out of all the series, let's rank it. Uh um, uh, most family friendly to least family friendly in the Kurtzman era. I'd say most Prodigy, 
mm-hmm. then I think Strange New Worlds, and then I think Lower Decks after that. So I, I can't get over that orgy scene. Um, yeah. And then I'd say... Uh, Picard? I guess Picard, and then Discovery is the least family-friendly out of all six. Does that... Where did the very short treks la- rank? <laughs> Non-canon. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I think that's right. Um, I, Lower Decks is a tough one because I would say the average episode is probably totally fine for families, but there is, as you said, like there's the orgy scene and there's the odd moment where I'm like, oh, that might be a little too extreme. But that said, when I then look at the one you've ranked below it in terms of family friendliness, Picard, I'm like, well, I got each up getting vivisected. So that's definitely not family friendly. So yeah, yeah I, I yeah. guess that's about right. Okay. So we've covered the, the three properties that we're fairly confident We'll be getting some screen time in uh, 2024. Now it's speculation time, Cam. Uh, right now, uh, we do know for a fact that Strange New World Season 3 is resumed filming in Toronto. Um, got a big six-month delay on that because of the Hollywood strikes that were going on last year. Um, so I, I, I don't think it's impossible that maybe we get Strange New Worlds in the fall. Um I, I, but does that kind of fall in line with whatever Paramount's strategy is? And and that's what I'm quite uncertain about. The thing is, I think there's just going to be such a gap for them between, like, let's say, hypothetically, maybe, yeah, we get um, uh, Discovery winding down by the spring, uh, late, uh, early summer, I should say. And then we've got, mm-hmm. um, hopefully, Lower Decks probably winding down in the fall. That's usually mm-hmm. what it is. And then hopefully... Uh, they'd want to have you know something to take up the mantle for star trek this year and have maybe strange new worlds premiere um late fall i i think that is not unrealistic even if i'm maybe just being a little hopeful yeah because i i agree with you like they'd want to have something but then i'm also like a little fuzzy just in terms of as you mentioned like the writer's strike pushing and the actor strike as well pushing things back far enough that maybe it's not necessarily viable for them to get strange new worlds out by the end of the year maybe they're looking more at you know, a January, February launch, like, um, I think one of the Picard seasons launched around that time. Uh, so I could see that, but then the question then in my head is, is it just like a graveyard of Star Trek content on that service going from the end of, um, of Lower Decks season five into the end of the year? Yeah. That to me also feels like a mistake. And there is the section 31 movie, but I, I also don't, really know what's going on with that right now other than you know we have a director we have a star but it it is confirmed that it's no it it is confirmed that it is filming this month in toronto so i just wonder then maybe the stopgap okay because i don't know what 2024 is looking like for star trek uh sorry i should say i don't know what 2025 is looking like for star trek Mm -hmm. i think maybe i i look if you're doing like a two-hour movie for a streaming service you could have that filming in january and have it in the can and ready to go by uh the fall and that could be kind of a stopgap until maybe strange new worlds premieres you know in early 2025 I, i maybe that is the more likely scenario there that would be i think a smart strategy because you build up a lot around that movie because it's michelle Yeoh, you know relatively fresh off her best actress oscar win so it's an event and if you build that up to come out in you know the some point in november or december then that kind of closes out your year on a high for star trek and then you can go into the next year once you've kind of 
gotten things, you know, operations back to normal post strikes with Strange New Worlds and whatever else you're going to do. Um, yeah, that that actually makes I think more sense to me than them getting Strange New Worlds out by the end of the year. Because what do we, like okay, let's say hypothetically they have Strange New Worlds out at the uh, end of the year. So that does that mean that you've got like Section Thirty One just sitting in the can until Strange New Worlds wraps up in early twenty twenty five, and then you have like I, I think it actually makes yeah. N- now that we're kind of talking it through, I think it makes more sense that Section Thirty One would hypothetically premiere in the fall before Strange New Worlds does. Yeah, I think that is that makes the most sense, and I am curious also. You know, just going bigger picture with the section 31 movie what this means for the future in terms of other star trek movies as well in this form is that because patrick stewart recently did an interview in which he said that there's a script uh, that he'll be looking at uh that that's picard centric like for a movie that's my segue there <laughs> okay okay um so he did this on this happy sad confused podcast um and um that interview was conducted in november and i think it was just uh released i I think the past week i think it came out on my feed and i i I didn't listen to it but um so patrick stewart was saying that there was a script that he'd be getting within a week and that was back in november and we haven't heard anything about this uh as of yet um i i like you know when you get old enough you just don't really care yeah (laughs) you can just (laughs) say this sort of stuff um I don't know. Like, I, I, I'm not really sure. I'm interested in returning to whatever iteration of Picard. Th- this, and by that I mean like Jean Luc. Yeah. This is like I just, it like it wasn't a very interesting character to follow at all. And I'm just like, maybe just I can pretend he's off with Beverly um, on the vineyard or something like that. Or, or maybe she's taken him to a kick-ass commando crusher camp or something like that. Yeah. Like I don't know. Like, um, I, yeah. I don't know. Do you know? I'd much rather see Cam. I, I've I've already talked about it before. I'd much rather see a um, TNG movie in which it costs like absolutely nothing. Sixty percent of it is like Jordy and Data in a shuttle hmm. on a road trip, and maybe they encounter Wes on the way and Barkley and O'Brien. And I, I just think about those moments in like Main Engineering, and you think you, remember you'd have like all five of those guys just kind of like circled around like the uh, the pool table and main engineering and it was just always cool thinking about like oh yeah it's chief o'brien lieutenant barkley and wesley and data and jordy and like it's like the brains are meeting and you know um not very inclusive of for women uh i I get it um yeah but i I, just something like that like something smaller in scale like i think would star trek always works really well when it when it's smaller in scale versus when it goes like like super super big in terms of budget yeah, I just wonder with this um <laughs> this fabled um Picard script if it's a case where Paramount's on uneasy territory um with money. So the idea of doing an ongoing Star Trek legacy show makes them nervous because yes, people are going to tune in and be excited to see, you know, Seven, Jack Crusher and Raffi on the bridge for the first season. And then what happens if the novelty wears off and the show isn't that spectacular and now they're on the hook for this very expensive show versus making a two-hour movie, bringing back Patrick Stewart, I'm sure some other TNG cast members, you can bring back, you know, those three members of the um, legacy, (laughs) the rumored legacy cast. And that is kind of the payoff that fans would be happy with and is much more of a viable option than investing in like a multi-year journey. 
Yeah, I got to be honest. I, I I don't really. I'm not that interested in a Star Trek Legacy ongoing series. Uh, you know, I I know there's like a lot of loud fans on social media. That's what they're calling for. I think if you're in like early Picard season three, and I, I think the idea of having kind of a Captain Shaw with Seven as the EXO, like that sounded fun. Yeah. You know, um, by the time we got to the end of the the season, I was just like, I don't know, like Captain Seven, Raffi as the EXO. I th- I just don't think those characters work. It's, it's kind of like chalk and cheese there. Um, uh, you know, Jack Crusher. I, I mean, I, that character actually worked for me. I, I'm not nearly as excited uh, about that iteration of Star Trek Legacy than what kind of the uh, the speculation was early on in season three. But Tyler, what about the QTs? We need to see Q matching wits with Jack Crusher. I know, I know. Look, I, I don't mind that little, like, hint uh, and nod to kind of the ongoing legacy of Q and Picard. I can totally wrap my head around, you know, Q dying in season two, but, you know, like him having that line saying, oh, you think so, like, what do you say, like, so lin- linearly. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm sure I'm mangling my English there. I can get that. Yeah, you know, kind of the, um, you know, old Q dies, but that doesn't mean that, yeah, Q is an omnipresent sort of being, you know, so it, it makes sense that he's still out there. You know, so um, I don't know, Cam. I, I I just like does the idea of Star Trek Legacy as it's kind of presented at the very end of season three. D- does that does that excite you, or would you rather see something different? It doesn't interest me whatsoever. Um, yeah, yeah. I just really was like, uh fine. Like I, I like the idea of giving Seven, you know, like a victorious kind of ending. You know, okay, she's the captain on the ship. That's great. You consider that character's journey. But the idea of an ongoing show with uh, those three on the bridge, I, I just, it holds absolutely no appeal to me at all. And it feels kind of like Star Trek retreating back to kind of just trying to do a greatest hits kind of thing in a way, like quick, get the recognizable characters back. We aren't confident. And that's what I think this era of the Kurtzman stuff has sometimes done and i've been more excited when they've pushed forward although i say that and i'm a huge strange new worlds fan so maybe i'm a total hypocrite for thinking that it's just maybe maybe it just comes down to the energy i like the energy of strange new worlds i didn't really respond yeah. <laughs> as much to the energy of picard season three i i agree there um i'll pitch you this what about uh wharf and seven in a runabout for a two-hour uh streaming movie <laughs> you know what like if you pair up really any two tng characters in like a film Sure, I will watch it. I would rather commit to a two-hour offshoot film with those characters, even if it was like the Seven and Raffi go on a mission, two-hour movie. Sign me up, you know, yesterday. But ask me to watch like a four or five season show, then I go, eh, uh, I don't know. Cam, we saw Seven and Raffi on a two-hour mission in season two of Picard. It was horrible. Well... I don't want those characters together. It, it, it was just maddening how little chemistry they had and, and like it just how convoluted whatever tension that they're trying to conjure up in the writer's room was. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm done with those two as a pair. You know, that, that's why I pitched, you know, uh, say Worf and Seven. I think that would be a much more interesting dynamic there. Well, it would be. I will say it is execution dependent, though. I think if you brought in the writer who really understood the di- the dynamic of Seven and Raffi, you could probably get something pretty good. Who, who, what was your favorite Raffi moment of the entire series? <laughs> Cam, um, this character sucks. Like that, like, uh, like um, Michelle Hurd seems like a very fun, nice woman, but it, they, they just did not give her any good material at all. It was probably in season one was my favorite Raffi stuff, right? 
And, and tell me about it. Tell, what was a specific Raffi moment that you're like, oh, this person rocks? Um, I'm really like racking my brain right now. I, dude, I'm, I'm saying, I'm saying, like the fact that, like, we can't think of stuff. Like that is why I, I don't care about a, a, a Raffi Seven team up or anything like that. Oh yeah. Um, I can't say that I care, but I'll say, <laughs> I'll say, I'm willing to commit to a two-hour movie of that versus, you know, like a multi-season show. Is what I'm saying, I guess. Oh, same here. Because guess what? I, I I would tear my hair out if I had hair to tear out. <laughs> if I had to commit to five seasons of Raffi and Seven who have zero chemistry, yeah. uh, you know, uh, versus like two hours. Yes, of course I would take that. But what I'm pitching, though, is wouldn't you rather just see Seven of Nine with a much more dynamic character? Yeah. Or, or even if it's not a pair-up movie, just a Seven of Nine film. You know, you could obviously include supporting cast members that we know, but just... The story of Seven, you know, a two-hour story, the way we're getting, like, a Giorgio film. Like, I'm totally cool with them making two-hour films built around a single character. I think that could be yeah. cool. Um, I, I, I'm yeah. done with that. Absolutely. Yeah. Sure. Cam, um, the Star Trek Voyager documentary, any hope that we get that in 2024? Well, I started backing that one in the year 2004. Um, <laughs> I've been very patient. So, um, you know, we went to that panel in Vegas, and they seemed to confirm that it does indeed exist. And they are editing it. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I think it's, mm, do I want to say probable? I think it's probable it comes out before the end of the year. I think okay. so. Okay. Yeah. I, I, it didn't seem as if they had a ton more to do. You know, the, the way that they talked about it at the convention is that they had kind of done all the interviews that they really needed to do. I think maybe they're saying like, maybe like two or three follow-ups, you know, that, you know, and, and. I'm like, okay, we'll get into that editing bay. Mm -hmm. You've had about six months uh, or almost six months at this point. Um, could you do another, you know, say six months of work in the editing bay and then get everything uh, finalized and uh, those DVDs and, and Blu-ray discs printed off and maybe a screening like we got with the Deep Space Nine documentary um, settled in the kind of theaters across North America. Um, I, I, I think, yeah, I, I could see it being probable by the end of the year. I think so. Like, if they can move a uh, season of Star Trek Strange New Worlds through relatively quickly, I don't see why this Voyager <laughs> documentary should take, like, 17 years. <laughs> well, how long did it take the Deep Space Nine documentary, though? That, long time. Like, that took a long time, too. Yeah. So uh, my hope is maybe they would want to use the Las Vegas convention as may maybe like kind of like a marketing launch pad for maybe a fall release for the documentary. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And maybe maybe they can set up some theatrical screenings in the fall and show the documentary. That could be really fun as well. Uh, it's not like um, Paramount gets anything really that much out of it. But nonetheless, it would be Star Trek content happening at a time where maybe we have some slower months. Do we get a Kelvinverse movie greenlit by the end of 2024, Cam? Yes, they actually will announce four of them, <laughs> okay. and we will be ending the year in a great state of excitement about the reunion of uh, Chris Pine and crew, and then we will have our hearts broken once again in 2025. <laughs> uh, Cam, this is such a nightmare. The last movie came out eight years ago. Like, yeah. I This is, like, I, unfathomable. It's done. It, it's unfathomable. It's done. I. You can't. You can't. Like, if I were a studio... And I'm bankrolling these things. I think I would be out of my mind to be dropping whatever, $150 million or whatever it costs 
to make a uh, much belated fourth entry in the JJ Star Trek universe. I just think that would be absolutely insane. I, I also think just the state of Paramount right now, mm-hmm. you know, where they're trying to get like purchased, you know, uh, and also uh, just the state of like blockbuster films right now. You look mm-hmm. at all these comic book films, you look at the uh, the Fast and the Furious franchise and just dumping Indiana Jones. Yeah, just dumping hundreds of millions of dollars into the budgets. And I just I don't think it's necessary. I think you could have done these movies on hundred dollar, hundred dollar, hundred million dollar budgets. <laughs> I want to watch know. that movie. <laughs> well, it felt like that's what the, they paid for the scripts there. Um, mm, mm. But like, I put it, it just look. I, I'm not really like blown away by seeing like all this computer work that seems like done like um, right at the last minute because of like changes of the minds of uh, you know say MCU executives. You know, like like. Put a hundred million dollars into something. Give me something more akin to kind of like Blade, you know, circa nineteen ninety eight, I think. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I I think that's how you do kind of these major properties going forward. I think you can do a hundred million dollar Star Trek film just fine. Does Chris Pine um, necessarily get a uh, paycheck that uh, he could garner doing another franchise? Uh, no. I wonder if maybe the argument is like, well, maybe give the cast points, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, you know, X percentage mm-hmm. of whatever the box office is there. That might be a way around it. I don't think the studios would be willing to do that. So that's why I just like, I, I just, uh, it breaks my heart. But like, I, 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 I think we're, we're kind of done with the Calvinverse at this point, which it, it genuinely shocks me. Oh, yeah. It's absolutely head scratching that they biffed it that hard. When it came to relaunching the Star Trek universe on the big screen, um, I, I don't know. I, I will always be fascinated by what happened there. I do think with properties like Mission Impossible uh, taking a bit of a box office hit as well, that there is a chance, not so much for the Kelvin verse, but that we see maybe a revised version of big screen Star Trek in the next handful of years as they try to launch something maybe newer to pull people back in because I do think like a lot of what Paramount had in terms of big franchises is kind of slowing down. Transformers movies aren't making the money they used to as well. So they're going to be looking for something and maybe a newer take on Star Trek might interest them. Yeah. I I don't know. It's just because the, the best thing you could do marketing wise, and this is why they greenlit that uh, last, <laughs> remember they greenlit the Calvinverse movie without telling any of the cast about a year ago. Yeah. And yeah. then they had to like move it back to like another start date. And then they just kind of canceled it altogether. But the thing is, the reason why they did that is because they did all this market research and they realized that it would make far more sense for them to do another Calvinverse movie just because it's so much easier to market that way and you have kind of familiarity with all of these characters. So for them to kind of like roll the dice and like let's hope an entirely new cast can like re- revive this on the big screen, like I, I, I don't think that's smart either. I, I honestly think like doing like streaming movies on lower budgets makes way more sense for Paramount Plus, but I don't know what that means right now when like Paramount is trying to um, be acquired. Remember when the Kelvinverse launched and it was like the hot young cast that was taking over Star Trek and now they're all well into their 40s? Oh, Cam, let's say we get a, a, a film, uh, a, a sequel to the Kelvinverse uh, that comes out 10 years after Star Trek Beyond. They have to be wearing the Wrath of Khan uniforms at that point, right? They, they have to be. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Of course. Oof. 
All right, Cam. Um, I'm looking forward to 2024. It'll, it'll be, you know, it'll be a year for us on the podcast. I think we're going to get more time to do more of our kind of crazy one-off sorts of episode ideas. Um, not as mm-hmm. many, you know, week-to-week episode reviews, but I don't know. Like, like we're going to have a lot to talk about throughout all of 2024. So it's, it's going to be a fun year for us. I agree. I mean, every year is fun, but uh, this one, maybe by the virtue of the fact that it's kind of a weirder year compared to the last couple, that'll give us some more fun to, you know, play with as well. So who knows? And I'm sure the Section 31 film, we will have no shortage of things to talk about when that lands as well. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So on that note, our assignment is complete. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, we want to hear from you. Jump on over to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash subspace pod and let us know what you're looking forward to in 2024 from Star Trek. And uh, do you have any hope for that documentary coming out? We'd love to know. Uh, You can also, of course, find us on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it. I'm at Cam, V as in verse, comma, Kelvin Smith. You can find me at Reportin, that's R. R, as in Red Directive, the season five premiere of Star Trek Discovery, E-P-O-R-T-O-N. I was scanning those titles looking for a V word and I got nothing, nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so until next time, the arena is closed. Um, what do you want from a finale, Cam? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs)